kids who were screaming. They're in diapers, feeding tubes, walkers. They could look scary if you don't know who they are. I can teach anyone just about anything. And the best I've ever felt is watching them become such a loved part of the community. A, a spot where the fifth graders had to write an essay of why I cried when I read it. I don't really have a best friend and I've always wanted one. And I thought this could help me make friends and I have so much love to give. I had a little boy one time who just, he just hit and I'm little and he was big at five and he would just beat me up and he was so, it was just pure fear. Welcome everybody to Learning with Lowell. New York City public schools have over 1 million students and over 200,000 of them being special needs students. Have you ever wondered what it's like behind those closed doors of a special needs classroom in New York City? Today we're pulling back that curtain. Tara, with 15 years of experience as a special needs teacher, is here to give us an exclusive inside look at the triumphs, challenges, and raw moments that, that most people never see. Prepare for a journey that's both heartwarming and heartbreaking, showing how much work goes into being a special needs teacher, demonstrating for anyone looking to pursue this career what it takes to be the best, and for everyone else giving a slice of life into a role and work that is getting ever and ever harder to do. Let's dive in and stay curious on this episode of Learning with Lowell. What does a typical day or week look like for you? Okay, so picture yourself on stage mm -hmm. on Broadway. Your audience are five-year-olds. They give you balls to juggle, hoops to do at the same time, and they light you on fire. That's what teaching is like during the day. <laughs> there is everything coming at you at once and you're not dealing with adults for the most part you're dealing with little ones so everything is a crisis um i got a boo-boo i need a band-aid my world's gonna end she didn't talk to me i don't know how to read that book it's it's amazing you are on stage seven hours straight a day at any point in this conversation if you find value in it please subscribe it is hugely beneficial and it tells google and everyone out there that this is content worth watching thank you for everyone thus far who has commented um and i love it i absolutely love it but it is so exhausting that at the end of the day you're kind of limping out of there how have you been able to do that for i think it's like 15 17 years like I, I just feel like mentally geez i don't know how you like deconstruct at the end of the day is summers. <laughs> you take your summers and you completely decompress. Um, you know, I also, I'm doing it not because there wasn't another field that I wanted to get into. I'm doing it because I just really, really love kids. And I'm one of those people, I, I walk down the street and it, it's one of those, everybody's got different skills. Mine, a baby will see me, a toddler will see me, and they just make eye contact and they just go straight for me with their arms out. And parents are saying, what is happening? <laughs> so that happens to me in my classroom. They're just sucker fish to my body everywhere. You know, they're, they're, mm -hmm. it's incredibly loving. We laugh all day long. Um, so how do you give that up? How do you yeah. give up all of that and watching them learn when it clicks on, when you find the key to figure out inside their brain? That's my favorite thing. Uh, how do you, how do you give that up? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that sounds like a, a lot of like, like, like mental Tetris in the sense, because there's so many different ways that people learn. So yeah. And you kind of have to be conversational in all of them just to 
do a, a, a good job as a teacher. I know, like, when I was going through, I don't know, like, if there's even more learning styles. They, it, now, like, we've gotten maybe even more granular. But there was, like, a, there's some people who learn best by, like, reading it, so, like, maybe on the board or something. There's some people who learn best by seeing it, like, if there's, like, a like visual aid or, like, a video. And some yeah. people just learn more by doing it. Like, if you just, like, give them a box and you say, this is kind of what you're trying to do, and then you just leave them alone. I don't know if there's yeah. any other uh, learning strategy you have to do, but if you have, like, I'm, like, I imagine you have, like, 20 kids, and you have to apply all those different things at the same time, like, that's a lot, like, mentally just... To like organize that, structure that. Are there so I guess like, I'm kind of curious. Are have we discovered any other learning strategies as well outside of those three? You know, that's a fantastic that you thought of that because a lot of people, even teachers going in, don't, and that is key for teaching. So visually, they've got to see it. Almost ninety nine percent of teaching is auditory, and mm -hmm. most kids can't learn that way. If I'm just lecturing you, and you're not visually watching it. So visual, auditory, and then tactile. If you're taking notes, if you're drawing out and sketching what I'm saying, that gets it into your brain. And then kinesthetic, the getting up and, all right, we, we're doing a math problem? Let's go. I've got seven birds. Start tweeting. Okay, three fly away. Show me. You, you, you fly away. And they're moving and doing. How many are left? So you, you, add, you put in all four modalities all the time. And I find that after this many years, even when an adult asks me for directions to go somewhere, I will tell them, I will send them a text with it, I'll draw a picture, I'll create an interpretive dance, you know, I'll do whatever, whatever it takes to get in there. And it's a little much, so <laughs> it's great for five-year-olds, but when I'm dealing with an adult, I have to remember, oh wait, yeah, they don't need all that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they, 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 uh, especially with, like, TikTok and stuff nowadays, like, they might be going back, our attention spans might be going back to that level, so that skill yeah. might still be useful with dealing with parents as, like, time goes on. It's so funny. But yeah. I love, I can teach anyone just about anything, and so I just need to know how your brain works, and um, my two favorite things, the key to your emotional health and then the key to how your brain processes and takes in information. So primarily at the beginning of the school year, that's what I am. I am all in with trying to figure you out. Um, I have a lot of students who are, you know, emotionally disturbed and pretty significantly so. And there are five. I, you know, COVID made it much, much, much worse for little ones, for everyone. But, um, but emotionally, they'll come to me. They've hit, been hitting, biting. Their families don't know what to do with them. Their kids who uh, everybody's throwing diagnoses at, right? Oh, you're autistic. Oh, you're ADHD. You're this, you're this, you're this. So I get in there and just say, everybody, back away. Just give me two weeks. Come to me. All right. I, you are going to succeed with me. So if I'm teaching you something... I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to let you flounder. You can trust me. And so building that trust, they fall deeply in love, which they're five. They want to fall in love with you. They, they need a connection. They need to feel emotionally safe before they can learn anything. And so I just want everybody to back up and let me have this child and talk to me. What do you love to do? All right, let's get on the ground and do that. And I actually enjoy it. You know, I, I see these, they're human beings and, I want to know what hurts and what feels good and, and emotionally and, and what they need to feel safe. Um, and, then, and then there goes through the phase where they're just stuck to me. 
they're sucker fish to me because I'm safety. Um, an example, little girl, first day of school last year came in, parents were there, all the parents leave, all the kids go off to the rug. I have a co-teacher who's incredible. And this one little girl sobbing and she just couldn't do it. So I bent down and said, you know, made sure she knew my name. I'm eye contact. I'm little anyway, but eye contact and, and just, and her mom was there crying. And I just, you are so brave. It's so, you're so brave because this is scary and this is big and, and you don't know where to sit and who to talk to and if it's going to be okay. And it's, you can sit with me and you can hold my hand and it till you don't need to. And I am going to help you find friends and we're going to be all right. Do you want to come with me? And I'll put my hand out. And when she's ready, put her hand in there, gave her a little hug. All right, let's go. But remember, you can stay next to me as long as you want. And I think just having that human connection of, all right, if it all goes to hell, I'm going to be okay. Someone's going to help me. Mm-hmm. So that's it primarily. Really it, it, it is. You should see these kids. These kids go from... You know, children who can't go to family events, who are screaming, who hit their parents. And I'm not blaming the parent. I am a parent, so I am a full parent advocate. But uh, like you said, not in, parents have not been trained in this field. It, it's So I will actually just, I just love to get inside their heads and figure out what's the key, you know? What's the key to your lock? How do I get in there? And, and as soon as you do that, the, their whole world opens up. And then the families come in crying, I can't believe it, I have a child, my child is back. <laughs> mm-hmm. How, are you able to just look at them? I, I imagine it's like, to some extent, like you're saying, you're just kind of like the child whisperer, like horses or something, but how <laughs> much of, some, sometimes I wonder to, like, how do you know, how do you, so if a kid already has like some way of going about things to help them open up and, and talk to you, how do you then, um, balance that with like maybe expose them to different learning styles or different things so they can maybe discover new things about their brain and i think sometimes it's like really easy to like oh i'm gonna like only be learned in one way but like like you're saying like the world's very multifaceted like you're never gonna see just visual or just text or all these different things so then like how do you how do you balance like diving in with potentially like moving their the needle on like what what they can learn from or do you just like focus on what they can learn from and just like live in there because that that already is a huge accomplishment like focusing on what they're doing what they can learn in the way the point yeah you're exact wow you're good at this um yes so you first find that and you create that emotional safety some children i will immediately find their best friend i have a best friend for you you haven't met them yet they're amazing and they can't wait to meet you (gasps) they want to be my best friend yes let's go meet them come on guess what guess what we're gonna play and then i'll play with them so i'm i'm the draw bring them in okay, what do you love to do? What do you love to do? Let's put it together and we'll play together and I'll teach them. Oh, physically you face this way. You turn your body, you do this. This is how we share time for that time for that. Ask them. "Hmm, We could ask them a question like this. So it's teaching them social language, teaching them appropriate interaction. Sometimes you have to go out to recess and hang out with them there and play and teach them how to interact. They don't know. It's not instinctive for, for children who are on the spectrum, for children who have been inside during COVID for so long, it, 
they have to learn how to play. And I can tell you what they want more than anything in the world is a best friend. Mm. You, you, if you're doing anything, if you're going to a professional development, if you're going to a yoga class, if you're going anywhere, everything is better with a best friend. Everything is better to have somebody that you are looking forward to seeing and talking to. So you make that happen. Um, I teach, you know, I'll have the class on the rug for my group lesson. Some kids need to be standing up by my side with one hand on top of theirs and we're doing the pointer and we're saying all the sounds. Some kids need to be leading it from the back and holding the cards up. I just have to, it's like a running race. I have to run really, really fast at the beginning to figure it out and hopefully not miss it. And I'm sure I do. And then I pick it up later, but that's how the world opens up for them. Oh, now they're leading this reading lesson, you know, and they feel so good and they go home and they tell mom they're leading it. And, oh, suddenly they can learn. They're not so scared. They can pick up the book. Now they can pick up a book and read with a friend. So that's how you open it up. You really go for what do they love and you find it in every area of the day and you utilize that. Is it, it sounds like if you were to make a lesson plan that like the, like, it wouldn't be necessarily like mile markers in the sense of like, oh, for the first weeks I do this, for the first weeks, then the next, then the next, then the next. It sounds like the biggest thing is you can take as long as possible, as long as needed to understand how each kid works yeah. and then start bringing them up from there. So like, yeah. I know when I was in uh, school, like it was always just kind of like a chop shop, like, all right, like chop, 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 chop. And you could tell, you could just visibly, I could see like the kids who weren't, weren't getting it and the teacher, you know, I, you know, who had a lot on their mind, but, and they had their lesson plan and stuff. So it's like, it sounds like your lesson plan would be more like fluid in the sense of like more like phases. Like, all right, we've, we've gotten everyone on the same page. We all understand how to talk to each other. Now I can start teaching you like numbers or I don't know what exactly. the five, five kindergarten equivalent of, of like different uh, things they can learn, but they're like, they're sponges. Like their mirror neurons is pretty great. Like it's probably their best time of their lives for learning. It is. And when you open that up, when they feel safe and then they allow, they allow themselves to open up, it's incredible. So they go from not knowing how to write their name, not knowing the letter sounds, their phonological awareness, not knowing how to count 10 objects, how to line up 10 objects and count them. They start there. And then by the end of the year, they're writing three page papers, which are really cute, really, really cute. Uh, they can read we call it a DE level, which is it's got a couple lines of text on each page. It's, it's big. And that, that is, they need direct instruction. And I think it, and a lot of it's one-on-one. -on -one. So that's where I grab small groups who are learning similarly, or if I have to do one-on-one -on -one and really boost a child. Um, <clears throat> but to me, if they can, if they can leave that school year, feel really good about themselves and it made huge emotional social gains and opened themselves up to learn, we've succeeded. The yeah. problem is then who do they, I'm such a, an emotional, like that's, you know, a social worker a long time before becoming a teacher. So I just, once they leave me, sometimes that's hard to continue. So that's, that's my goal. And that's what I'm trying to get better at is being able to transfer what I do with them into their next grade and their next teacher. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm reflecting on this as you're talking about it. It's like, wow, this is like, you're like almost getting from like zero to 60. It feels like they're almost like high school level. I mean, sure there's refinement and stuff, but to go from where they started to being able to write, you know, pages 
of stuff. Yeah. That's such a huge. That's monumental. And like, there there are people in college that couldn't write uh, very well in college, and so like to get them that far within like just a year. That's that's huge. And I was just thinking like, wow, like the the huge detriment is the next teacher that will come in because you know like the I heard her saying once that a four student is not a four student because of teachers. Uh, it's it's like the four student is a four student despite bad teachers like that's how it works like there are great teachers that are you know great like yourselves but then they have to like navigate like a four-point student basically knows how to navigate the bad ones yeah you know like yeah and like my wife's great at that i'm not i'm like kind of like uh uh, uh i'm the same with everyone which is not great kind of have to like know how to talk to everyone but you're um, authentic yes. you are well, you, you... I, don't, I don't teachers didn't like me when i was younger but uh so then how it, it does sound like if there was like a, like a way to bottle what you do and just like almost like craft the curriculum, not curriculum, but like the way that we teach everyone after you, it'd be so much different. Like, I, I can't even imagine, like, if we just, I, I almost just want to give you like cardio blonde for a whole school system <laughs> and just like see what would happen over like five years. It'd be so crazy. I mean, I would love to, I would love to do that kind of moving on next career wise, I guess. I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it fleshed out. I wish I did. Um, but I love, so I love working with the kids. I love working with other teachers and, you know, there have been teachers in the school many times. Okay, I can't, I can't get them to listen. All right, well, let's look where his seating is on the rug and let's whisper in his ear and say what's happening and let's give him a whiteboard so he can also respond every single time like he needs to, but doesn't disturb. Let's, let's go in and give some positive reinforcement. You know, I, I love working with teachers. I work a lot with families. So you have a, I have a student and they come with every problem, right? The families, because if, if you're successful with their child, then they open up to you and say, I can't get them to take a shower without a battle. I can't get them to enter the door of my parents' house for a family reunion. I can't. So, all right, well, let's talk about a shower. What are the steps? Do they understand the steps? Let's make sure they do. And this is, shouldn't be stressful. This should be fun. So what are they get to go out and find some high-interest toys that they can bring in the shower. And here's a list written down. I'll do it for you. I'll create it. And you can move the little, you know, the arrow for everything. Okay, first I take the soap. And then I take the towel. You know, it, give them what they need. Scaffold everything. And then as they don't need it, take it away and make sure that whatever you're teaching them, they're successful. Because would you want to enter into something with someone you don't know if you're safe with, right? You're in a classroom. You don't know the teacher. They ask a question. You're not sure. You say it and they go, oh, no. Are you ever raising your hand again? No. And it's, I get it. I mean, I am, I am probably not the best reading teacher. I am probably not the best math teacher. I, I'm sure there are people who are much, much better that, than that, than I am at that in many ways. But, but I don't think there's someone who, if there is, I want to meet them um, and learn from them. But yeah. getting inside a child's head and loving them for exactly who they are and managing my expectations for who they are. I, yeah, that's. Yeah. It, it sounds like you're like a learning expert. Like you're like a not not only are you a like a kid whisperer because like kids have to trust you and, and vice versa, but it's also the element of like if I were to distill what it seems like really great at it's like you're able to learn with them versus like learn right. at like how like learn at them I don't know how that would work out as that a sense. exactly right um it seems like so it maybe maybe like you could be like medium or average on all these other things but it's okay because you you know 
how to work with them on that. And then uh, other right. teachers are going to be the same way, but like you're teaching them with those core fundamental blocks. And I, I was curious, um, I am curious about how about that parent-teacher relationship works. Cause I've, 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 I have friends who are teachers, and it's almost like the, the kids who get good grades are the ones that have the parents that just like bludgeon the teachers, you know, like just come at them a lot. Uh, yeah. And I think that at your level, uh, I don't know if they have grades or not. So it's really just more like how can kids develop the best possible? So like maybe you don't get uh, that from teachers, but like how do you navigate that relationship when there's some some people who are like helicopter parents I hear, and then you have some yeah. people that are just going to be like, well, not my Timmy. And then yeah. you know, you have like so it's like another element uh, with each individual parent structure. So then how, do you, how does that work? I entered teaching uh, as my second career. So I had two children. And it's really hard to be a parent. It's just really hard. It is. And I love it. And it's amazing. But I give absolute full mad respect to, to parents. I, single, single parents especially, which is what I did. Um, I can hear, some, I have heard over the past some teachers, oh, that, that parent didn't even send in gloves for recess and their child's hands are cold. So I kept them in for recess. Buy them gloves. Bring gloves in. Why blame the parent? Is Maybe they don't have the extra $10 this month. I mean, you got to put your judgments to the side, and you have to meet the parents where they are. Um, I love working with parents. I really do. I think it's my age. I'm old. I'm older than most of my little one's parents, so there's, I think, some respect kind of built in, which is should not be. I mean, that's not why I deserve the respect, but I do think coming in, as a mom of a 21 and a 25 year old and uh, having taught 17 years and being older and not having an attitude. I don't care if you're coming from this incredibly well-to-do family or not. What do you need and how do we get you there? And, and the helicopter parent, what's going on? What do you need? What are you worried about? Okay, let's work there. The parent who has never shown up for a child's event ever, Maybe they can't, right? Maybe they're 45 minutes away and they at night it's not very safe and they, they can't get there. So do you get them cab fare? Do you get them an MTA card to get there? Do you send them extra reminders and just understand she works nights and she's a single mom? You know, what does she need? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I, I think I'm probably a little like your wife because you were saying she can kind of pick up on people and and I love that I I personally look for in every person I don't look for what I need in you I look for what I can love or respect in you and that's where I focus so I think I I do that with the parents as well and yeah, I've only in 17 years I've had two parents that were very difficult and I think that was there was some mental illness and there were some other factors and it was really tough but yeah, it's, yeah. It sounds like that's a like. Um, I wish I wish we could like bottle what you do and, and like uh, have like have teachers or some like you know like have like a two week summer summer camp where it's like it's not like you're teaching them, but then you just like it's like you're kind of like teaching them blocks, but they don't realize it. Because sometimes people are but there's like a pride that stops them from being uh, yeah. open to education, and so yeah. but if you can get parents open to to new things, and they're probably like, oh, you know, I, I've been doing my best. And, you know, someone yep. coming in and saying, like, hey, there's a better way, or, like, hey, I can help you, let me help you out there. Like, that, there's probably, like, a little bit of friction there, a little bit of resistance. 
but when they see the results of it, then it's like, okay, hey, I can trust this person. Because that's another yeah. thing as well. It's like there's a lot, there's a lot of people that say good things, but then can they do the good things? And so you have like the the one two punch of that. Like, hey, I'm 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 saying the good things, but then you can back it up with the action. It almost right. just feels like you need to have like like there's a way to like give them like a booklet. Like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I've been able to do. Gosh, like, help me like do that. I, I can show you this. Yeah. <laughs> like here, here's my here's my track record. You know, like this is the difference between you know. Uh, like some way to like metricize it or like demonstrate it or something. Um, if there's like kids that could like give uh, examples of the writing that they're going to do at the end of the year versus the beginning yeah. and stuff, like, but they'd have like to consent or whatever. But I think giving either like like a Google Doc of that or something to a, a a parent, like breaking down that wall and then to other teachers as well. I think sometimes it's really hard to differentiate. You know, I can imagine if you're a single mom or a single parent and you have all that stress and then yeah. you're trying to take care of your kid. And you feel like you're not doing good enough, and then the kid's coming home, and it's like, how do I help? How do I help them? How do I even ask the question of how to help them? Because like you ask the question wrong, they say fine. You know, like that's what I hear all the time. Like kids yeah. just say fine if you if you don't ask the question right. Um, and there's like I've heard people say that you don't ask like if they had a good day. You ask like, did you ask any good questions or or did, you, uh, did the teacher? Uh, what did the teacher talk about today? Like if you ask them like, like you have to like kind of like sh- like work around it apparently. Like I don't have kids at that you know, but I've told that like you have to kind of like be a little bit of like a wizard. To like get around like the fine response because if they give you this fine response, it's like them telling you didn't ask the right questions essentially or something. Like you have to like go in a different way. It is so tricky. Every parent we have, that's funny. You say you don't have children, but you're spot on. Every parent we have will say, "My child comes home and just says today was fine. It was good. She's funny, and that was it." Um, and you, yeah, really specific. So what was you know? did Tara do blah, blah, blah today? Oh yeah, she did. And then they go off on a story. And so at lunch, who did you sit next to? What were they eating? And boom, all of a sudden five stories from lunch come out, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but that is very tricky. It's tricky for all parents. Um, (laughs) Kids just don't want to give it up. It's true, except they want to tell me everything. So, oh, my mommy loves to drink wine. She drinks a lot of wine. <laughs> and I get all the stories and, you know, oh, my mommy yelled at me. Listen, being a mommy's hard business. So you go home, mm-hmm. give your mom a hug and say, I love you. And I, you know, and, and they do. And their moms will call yeah. and say, thank you. <laughs> but I hear that. everything. It's really it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost like they're giving information to be even more empathetic to the parents. Because then it's like, oh, they're having these things. I, I, I'm hearing about it. And, you know, I imagine you don't, like, mention it to them. But then it's like, oh, I know, like, you're being, like, you're under a lot of stress right now. Because now I'm hearing, normally you don't drink any wine. Like, this week, uh, little Timmy or little Sarah says, <laughs> like, you're drinking a lot. So, like, something's like, going I on. Home I do- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, uh, yeah. Is it I, still I the case? No, go ahead. Having that open communication. Right. Hmm. If they're going through a stressful time, I, I have a child who's I have some incredible stories I would love to tell you, but I had a child who's whose mom called me. She was not with the child's father at the time, but he got shot five times outside the deli um, at eight o'clock in the morning. And so she calls me and she's in and out of the hospital. She's like, what do I do? What do I do? All right, send him to school. We'll take care of him. We'll talk about it. What do you want? Do you need me to get somebody to bring him home from school? I can talk to other parents in the class. What? So we do that. If there's an emergency, let me know. And then let's figure out how I can help. And that's the social worker. And it's probably a step too far. But you know what? I am old and I can do that. <laughs> they want to fire me for going a step too far. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Is it uh? Is it still the case with teachers that, like, 
you have to like pay things for yourself, or like you have like a very minuscule budget, or are um, institutions being better at giving you a, a budget, or like however the phraseology there is, so you can take care of the students and do the things you're talking about. Basically, it's like it's still this case where like you have to like almost take from your own pockets to do a great job, or are institutions finally like being a little bit better at supporting you and what you're trying to do. Both. So hmm. New York City's cut their budgets, I've heard, uh, but it doesn't affect us as much because, you know, we're in a very wealthy school district, a well-to-do school district. Um, my students, when I had taught a, the first eight years of teaching, I taught a 12 to 1 to 1, so a, a smaller class with significant disabilities, medically fragile, um, multiply disabled, everything you can think of thrown into one they came from nothing. They were below the poverty line. These were single parents trying to raise kids. Um, so they came from nothing. They would be bussed in. And luckily, they won the golden ticket. They got in my classroom with a very wealthy parent body who wanted to give and wanted a way to help. And so I created those opportunities um, so everybody benefited. But that being said, yes, I am constantly going into my pocket and we need this today. Oh, that would be fun to do. Oh, I think that would be helpful. You know, it's a little of both. Mm. Well, then, um, I know in Chicago, well, I was reading about this, that the wealthy school districts have, like, worked out their districting. So then it, like, cuts out the impoverished groups. And then says that, like, there's some that, are, like, the impoverished group will be right next to a really wealthy school, but they have to go five miles in the opposite direction because they've, like, worked it out. So the money that can afford a good school uh, is, like, sequestering itself, and then they still send their kids to private school, so they're not... It's like, not only will they not let the money go to support public education for everybody, but then they send their kids to private education as well. So it's like, like, like can you pull out the ladder even, even further? Right, people? right, it's exactly terrible. right. Yeah, nobody yeah. else can climb it. I... New York City has done, uh, in the last few years, has it seems like they've been trying to kind of change those um, borders and, and try to make schools more inclusive. Definitely with special education, they have, there's a big push for inclusion. So students who would have been in a separate class, there's, so what I, I teach, um, what I have taught earlier, my first eight years, that was a specialized class, but it was in a community school. Community school happened to be very, very well off. There are special classes in special schools. There's an entire district in New York City that is just for special classes. And there's no way that they have the money that other public schools in New York City in well-to-do neighborhoods do. So it's really the neighborhood they live in. It's two blocks, I think, you know, within two blocks in either direction. But who's going to live within those two blocks? Wealthy people. They're all you, the housing projects four blocks down. So that ends up to be its own school system. But I do think they're, they're moving a little bit towards um, more inclusion and integrating students a little bit better. But I heard or read that that's really good. Well, I was watching, I don't remember how long ago this was, but I was watching this like debate where teachers were, no, uh, parents of kids that were not specially abled did not want specially abled kids to integrate with their kids. Because they were like, well, that specially abled kid is going to get all the attention. My, you know, Timmy or Sarah, I like little Timmy, I don't know why. 
little Timmy, <laughs> he needs, he, you know, he needs attention too. And so they, yeah. they didn't like that. But apparently, like, there's studies that have shown that it's, it's better for the both parties, especially abled and the not especially abled, uh, to be in like the same group because they're like socializing with each other. It's like they're learning empathy or something. Like I don't know what it is, but like it seems like there's something there where like they don't they don't take from each other; they give to each other. It's like the what I was reading. I think it was like four or five years ago, so I, I could be wrong on this. But uh, that is that the when you when you do see it in your environment. Does that seem to be the case? Like, kind of like they're both giving. It's not like no one's like losing out with that arrangement. Absolutely, it depends how you set it up. Of course, I mean, when I my first year teaching, um, I came into a school, and my children happened to be going to that school, so I knew it really, really well. And I got the the small class, the twelve to one to one of kindergarten through second graders. And at the time, they were about eighteen month cognitive level each. So, you know, you have a five-year-old whose brain works as a young toddler, right? And emotionally, probably not far off. They ate lunch in the classroom because they were so productive. They didn't attend things that the other parts of the school did through, not through anyone not liking them or not wanting them. Luckily, that was not the case. It was just, they screamed and they were loud and they didn't, you know, they didn't have any skills to navigate that they had recess by themselves so they really never integrated so i i wanted to change that and i thought my my daughter was in fifth grade at the time and she would come after school every day and play with my students and i saw the power of that so i did what anybody would do i bought a big toaster oven and i made brownies and i can tell you the smell of brownies will go through a school like you can't believe i had everybody coming to this classroom with kids who were screaming. They're in diapers, feeding tubes, walkers. They could look scary if you don't know who they are. Coming in and getting brownies. And then I decided I'm going to start a mentoring program because I love the energy that the fifth graders brought. I brought a couple of my kids upstairs with little walkers and their wheelchairs and we get their feeding tubes and they've got, we go into the fifth grade classrooms and, and I've got brownies and I say, okay, we brought brownies for everybody. So if you want to come see us once a day, you know, at the end, our my program was 45 minutes longer than the general ed. So if you want to come for that period, you've got to apply. Here's the application. And I figured if somebody applies for something, they buy in a little more. And I put a, a spot where the fifth graders had to write an essay of why I cried when I read it. I don't really have a best friend and I've always wanted one. And I thought this could help me make friends and I have so much love to give and I want to give my love. And it was just really amazing. We ended up with 70 out of 100 fifth graders. So I ended up having to do it multiple, you know, okay, during our lunch, during our recess, during every, in every way we became the heart of that school. And we would walk down the hall and my kids who were, kind of invisible before or a deterrent, right? Or people were deterred by them. Now people are yelling, hi, Mario, I'll see you on Tuesday. Um, but then I thought, okay, fifth graders, then they're leaving the school. So what impact is it really making? It's making an impact for them. They would write about it for their, for their essays to get into middle schools, which you have to do in New York City. Um, but I needed to start in kindergarten, in a general ed kindergarten. So a friend of mine was teaching a class down the hall. And 
I had her here her kids come for cooking because everybody loves brownies or cupcakes or cookies none of it was healthy <laughs> all of it was something oh, I can't wait till we go to Tara's class and we get to make that and and I would partner all of them up with my students um, and the empathy that you you have to teach empathy you have to this is not necessarily an instinctive skill you you've got to teach it and my one little boy who who had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is a really nasty disease, and he really couldn't walk, and he would sit. He didn't want to be in his wheelchair, so he would sit on the ground at recess, and these little five-year-old girls would come and sit with him and bring him toys and play with him, and that's what you can do. That's the power you have if you, if you recognize that everybody's got love that they want to give. You figure out pathways to open that up, and... You know, I, I'm really proud of those programs. I think that's probably some of the best things I've, I've ever done in my whole life is just the best I've ever felt is watching them become such a loved part of the community. And it has the, I know for older populations like the 60s and 70s, that if you just socialize with other people, it'll, it'll prevent your cognitive decline because there's like certain mm -hmm. cognitive decline from exercising and stuff. And if you exercise and socialize, like it'll actually like you'll you can regrow. I think like you can regrow gray, gray matter. You can like slow it down significantly. So I imagine like kids with all this plasticity in their brain, um, yeah. the matter like I imagine like just like getting them out and talking with other people. That, that socialization aspect is like I'm I'm curious um, when you when you did do that, what was the educational outcomes? Were they even even better at, at learning? Were they even more excited yeah. to learn? Because it, it seems like my my guess would be like with older populations, if we can do that populations that don't have yeah. like the, the brain don't work the same way and you have like this population that they're like constantly making neurons and stuff and connections I imagine there's probably like a huge boom um for parents out there are like well i don't know if i'm still cool with this like your kids are going to learn more and stuff based on what i'm saying yeah for like the utilitarians out there but yeah it sounds like I, I would guess that they're they're probably like even even uh better learners after this in in every way so all of the students that i had almost all of them started in diapers they were all potty trained by the end. And that was because they've got, they're typically developing peers coming in. They've got, there's just, and I bought really fancy princess underpants because, you know, if you, if you love princesses and you want to wear them, well, then you need to go in the potty. But in every way, students who couldn't walk, walk, right? Through physical therapy, through their fifth grade mentors coming, through going on the playground, and they really want to do what the other kids can do, and they want to get up on that slide. I taught them all to read at whatever level they were at. Their brain was wide open. They went from either screaming or being flat to their full-on personalities coming out, and that's that's when they can open up and learn. And then. How often do you get the opportunity to go to other schools and kind of share what you're doing? Because it just seems like such a powerful process that you do. And I, I, I imagine some of it's just like you kind of have to like show them by doing. But like how often do you, um, I mean, you have so much already on your plate. And so I imagine I'm like technically I'm, I'm like adding more to your plate by the suggestion. Like, hey, why don't you go around and like teach other people when you're already doing such a great job and your plate's already full? But do you, do you go around and show other people how you, how you do what you're doing? Because it seems just so powerful. It's not... Um... Not as much as I would like. I would love that. I think that's that's potentially a future role that I would really enjoy. 
but it's it's just not it's not created yet. And so I have, and I've had the superintendents over the years, New York City superintendents over the years come in and look at my program and want to know more about it and try to do some takeaways from it. I've spoken at, uh, we've had a lot of student teachers from Columbia University and I've gone and spoken to them about all of this and kind of how to open that avenue of, of teaching that they may not have thought of, right? Um, but not in the way that I would like to. I think you're exactly right. I, but it's hard. It's one of those things that, you know, you have your superpower, and and that that happens to be mine. But I don't, I don't, I have not perfected how to then get that to transfer. So if my students are amazing for me in class, first they're amazing because they love me and they want to do, they want. They want to please me, which is just just understanding why they're doing something, right? That that's just it. They fall in love. They're so happy. They want me to be happy, but then they go to a specials class, an art class, a music class, and they're under the tables and they're screaming and they're hitting. And then they come back to me. I'm sorry, Tara. Okay, I I can't. It's very hard to transfer. If I'm in the art class, if I walk in. Boom, behavior's beautiful. Hi, Tara, let me show you what I drew. But it's tricky. It's I would love to learn how to be able to transfer that more and teach that yeah. more. Yeah, I'd love uh, if you're, you know, if anyone's listening or anything like this has ideas, but it sounds like people should probably get like, I imagine like uh, like a surgery room where there's like a bunch of like glass and there's just people up there taking notes. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, we have to give you like a special room where like there's like one way glass. <laughs> if you were just like watching and taking notes, yeah. Yeah. We, we do have teachers have come in and just a lot of observation and, and watching and taking notes, but I don't know if that's fully transferable. I also think, as in any field, it's, um, you know, it's a control issue, and you don't really want to be told what to do, and you want yeah. your classroom to be your fiefdom, and you, and you want to be able to control that. I I feel I've had I had an incredible incredible professional developer who came in and she was tremendous and she taught me so much. If you can teach it to me, I want to learn it. I don't have an ego with that. I I don't. There are so many things I want to learn how to be better at. But I do think it egos are involved and control is involved and it's tricky. It's tricky yeah. to tell a teacher, oh, she does this really well. She's going to come in and help you with that. And they're going, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a parallel with, uh, like, washing your hands and microbes. So before we knew that this was a thing, they were, uh, I think it was in a birthing hospital that had C-sections and stuff. They were using the same scalpel knives stuff on all the women. And then they were like, what? We have, like, 70% mortality rate for women. And a guy was like, you know, if you just wash your hands... Like the mortality yeah. rate goes away, goes down, but people didn't like that because it's basically saying that you're killing your patients with your, yeah, you're your wrong. habits. Yeah. And so instead of, uh, instead of basically he would double down and just yell at people about it and no one took it seriously. And he actually like was driven out of his, his job and he was like, he had to move to like a really far away to even like get a job again. But then like a hundred years later, people discovered the germ was like, Oh wow, he was right. And uh, people have retroactively looked at this and said, if he just if he gathered the data on the change and made like a scientific thing on it and then presented it, it's harder to argue with that. Like, granted, people are going to argue with it because like, people have their like pet theories and stuff. 
but if there's data behind it. And so I wonder to what extent there could be like uh and like an anthropological or like some type some like university uh people who are doing their theses come in and kind of just see the differences and then write it up. They get their PhD on it and then you get like this thing, this data brick that you can show people and say, hey, this is what's gonna the the different methodologies are like. Um, it seems like that that could be like that type of like parallel. You know, make use of the fact the fact that people need PhDs <laughs> and yeah. they're they working on these things for you're getting paid for it already by the government. Uh, to come in and then um, try and like synthesize it into like with data and stuff over a couple of years. I imagine it'd be a couple of years though to like really grab the data yeah. and compare it to other other schools and stuff like that. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. I would yeah. welcome. That. Yeah. Well, anyone in the New York City area or across the world, I imagine you're open to, to Zoom or whatever. Uh, if yeah, if you're in a PhD or you know someone who'd be interested in this, I imagine you're you're the person to talk to. Uh, message <laughs> me. I don't think the, I don't think Tara's contact information will be in the show notes. So just. Message me and I'll filter that through. Uh, <laughs> that it, it does, yeah, it does seem like an opportunity there. Uh, and then, you know, I was thinking just, like, what's the future of school? Schooling for kids, like K-8. through eight, uh, Because we have all this technology, all these things coming in. And more often than not, like, kids are, are able to learn these concepts uh, faster than the teachers can teach it to them. But then they're stuck in class not being able to do anything. But then, you know, just hearing this conversation and my research on it, I, I imagine, like, what you're doing... It's probably the most, in my opinion, like most selfishly insulated thing that should exist out there because of the benefit for the, the students. But I, I imagine from like, my guess is, and I'm just you know, I'm making a guess here, and I'm curious what you think on this, that like you're treated more like art supplies, like an art art division of things where like, uh, I don't know, when I was in high school, the arts were always on the cutting, the chopping block for like funding cuts and all these type of things because like people weren't... Uh, realizing the power of like what art can do for people like to be able to express yourself like who, who would have thought that would be very valuable to people but uh, mm -hmm. the administrators did not think this way so i imagine similarly like they probably target you a little bit thinking of yourself like thinking of what you do is like that but of all the different things that exist k through 12 i imagine yours is the most critically important to be supported and expanded because of what we're talking about today but i'm, I'm gonna take a guess and say like that's probably not the, the way it is you're probably treated more like arts like the art art uh division of schools Luckily, um, luckily, I've got results on the other end with reading, with writing, with all of that critical data. And, and I think, to your point, it's because I've got that. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter whose child is running down the hallway screaming. I can go up and say, come here, let's talk. Okay. All right. It's you know, I can, I can pretty much calm almost any child down. Almost. Almost. Not all. But so I've got... I've got those skills and I, I do feel very well respected in my school, I have to say. And I feel like, you know, there's good give and take. Um, but that being said, if I were to go to a different school, I don't, I don't, I don't know that what I do would be respected or, or thought of as necessary. And that's a shame because COVID, I could tell you, these children are not the same. So they may not have, they may not be on the spectrum, they may not be ADHD, they may not be um, emotionally disturbed, but they come in, they all have pretty significant anxiety. Many of them have learning issues because it, they just weren't socialized properly. They just weren't, none of us were for however many years, but when you are two through five and that's all you knew, they didn't, they didn't learn 
how to communicate effectively in that way, right? They're with their parents or they're with their extended family only. Um, but I see it with, in general education, third graders with panic disorders, fifth graders with just their emotional health is primary. And, and I know our school wants to focus on that, but it's really a huge topic. It's gigantic. So where do you start and how do you do it? We now have so many students who just seem completely out of control. And if you think about being inside their head and feeling that scared and out of control, there's these aren't even special education students. This is These are just students across the board. So I think that having creating, developing, creating, and running a really, really strong social emotional program where students can, one, learn how to express themselves, which they don't know how to do, I can tell you. They don't, they don't have the same empathy from learning from characters and books because they don't have, they don't have it. So teaching that would be huge. And that would then open up all their pathways to learn, I feel. But, and New York City's trying. It's just such a gigantic animal. It's it's so huge. And I think these things can work on a smaller scale. Like I can do it in my classroom. I know I can. But to extend that to all public elementary schools, I, yeah. it's tricky. We need the data, like you said. We need the data. We need it to be a set program. And that needs to be primary. Social-emotional development needs to be primary. And I think sometimes people look at these emotional elements of, of um, development when it comes to, to school. They're like, oh, why should I do this? You know, taxes, you know, if you if we didn't do that, could I save like $3 per square foot on my taxes? Which, I mean, it adds up. But uh, right. empathy is probably the most useful, just uh, in like a business sense, probably the most useful skill you can ever have. Like understanding what the other person needs and wants so you can like either make something or have a business deal that actually work with them. Now, there's there's people out there that's like they're car salesmen, so they're only learning just enough to like trying to like you know browbeat you to like buy their stuff. That's terrible. Don't do this. But right. like actual business, like leading anything, is just empathy. Is can you listen to the other person? Can you understand what they want? And can you find a way to meet that so you can do something together? Like that's all it is. So like empathy right. and emotional uh, stability is like the biggest things. And then I I've been wondering about this a lot because I, I keep like. You know, recently there was like no teenager in the house, and I was just like, "My God, all the things they have to worry about." And uh, I'm not gonna name their names if they're listening, like uh, you know, whatever. But uh, like, like, like a uh, school violence, like school shooting and stuff. There was like a TikTok where there was a there was a people playing volleyball, just having a nice day, and then all of a sudden, like you hear people screaming. It's like, "My God, imagine just going about your day, you're playing volleyball with your friends, and now you have to worry about this thing." Or that thing, or all these different things. COVID. Now you don't know how to socialize, communicate. Like, just yeah. it feels like. And I was going to ask you this. I'm like a meta thing. This is in my head. Like, how 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 parents and uh, kids changed over the years. It seems like the kids today they have all access to this technology, but they have like there's just all this other weighted stuff on there that comes down to. I I feel like what we're talking about is like this emotional development. Like that's the the key. That I feel like if we could push that domino forward, it would cause a, a cascade of like just so many different things getting better. But it's something that I think a lot of people, like I know many business leaders that think empathy is like, no, I have to be evil businessman. I'm going to steal from everybody and, and knife them. It's like, all right, you notice that no one wants to work with you? You know, right. only At people want to use you. You like yeah. that feeling? Yeah. It's like, like the, I always tell people, like, the evilest thing you can do is just treat people well. 
Do you want to do you want to do go far in life? Just treat people with love and respect. Like it'll your life will be so much better because then people treat you that way. Does that feel great? You know. But uh, I know a lot of people that they think of these things, they think they're superfluous. But imagine like the kids we're talking about at eighteen, never being taught these skills. Like yeah. that's terrible. And then they have to go and join the workforce, and the people are like, "Oh, I explained this thing to someone, but they're not getting it." Well, because they don't have the skills internally to know how to get it. Um, right. And then I know like I used to work at Walmart, and uh, this was. I don't know, like 15 years ago, so this is like maybe when we first started uh, teaching, but I would routinely hear parents talking to their kids as if they were adults. Like, the kid would like, yeah, I think this paper towel is better than this one, and the, the parent would be like, yeah, because I'm a fucking idiot and I don't know which one to buy. And like, the kid doesn't know. The kid doesn't know. He's just offering things. He's just talking, and the kid was just like, oh, I'm just like, it's so sad, because the kid's just trying to be nice. You know, because so I imagine now, with all these new stresses coming on, that's probably happening a lot more. Like, people are expecting a lot from kids and yeah. talking to them in a way because they don't have the social regulation as well to know, like, yeah. the, like the kid is different. And that's, like, when I interact with kids, it's like, uh, you know, I ask my wife, is, is this a question I should be answering? Because <laughs> I don't know. If you ask me a question, I have, like, the tendency of, like, just answering anything. Yeah. So then I always ask, like, hey, Amy, is this, like, appropriate, like, bandwidth of things to answer? Because, right. like, I will just answer anything. <laughs> But I know uh, it just sounds like there's a lot of complexity right now. And, like, there's the school shooter element. There's, like, the not having emotional regulation. And it just seems like if we could get to, like, selfishly, to work on the empathy side of things and then build from there, how many things would be better? How can you learn if you don't feel safe? Like what you were saying earlier. How can, like, everyone's basically on a small level. People always say, like, what age are you? Like, why don't you act your age or whatever? I think everyone's all their ages at once. And then you just kind of pick your, fa your, your they flavor. They are all their ages but, at once. You're so yeah. right. Yeah, so then everyone is that fifth, that, that five-year-old going into class for the first time, and the safety totem, like their parents, have, is leaving. Like, that's that's all life. They're going into a new domain. You're learning something new. Like, that feeling, that that uh, experience is happening every day all the time. And But people aren't being taught how to adapt to it. But it seems like the most selfish thing we can do is support what you're doing and this type of work, because it'll teach the kids better. And then at the same time, you're teaching the parents. Like, you're, like, hitting, like, the whole, like, the whole spectrum with what you're doing. Yeah. Trying, trying. Yeah. And it's very true. I think um, empathy is just, you know, I go on an airplane and actually be kind and pleasant to the flight attendants. They will be shocked. You know, I've had flight attendants say, you're so nice. Everybody on here is so mean. They're all yelling at me. I'm just going to come back and stand with you. People... People are scared, they're anxious, they've got whatever on their minds. Financially, life is pretty scary. You know, sometimes you take that out on the world. It's on your face, it's in your attitude, it's in your voice as you go through the world, right? And then you ruin everybody else's day. And everybody else kind of puts their guard up and aren't relaxed. Um, so I think if it were widespread, be a lot happier in the world, I can say that. Yeah. I think people would do better. I think people would have, like you're saying, happier lives, but be more productive lives. Because when they, absolutely, yeah, because then they could say, "Hey, I'm not feeling well. I need help, and I know how to talk and ask Tara for help, or someone like Tara for help." Uh, where a lot of a lot of times, especially like in classes with, uh, like the age group and you're dealing with, like a lot of people see people like that and they don't think I'm going to protect them. Some people look at those that age group and think I'm going to be an evil person, and so it's like if you're if they don't feel safe enough to tell you, and they're already in an environment where it's kind of like force them to not feel safe, like, how are we going to help those people? So, I don't know. Right. I think we're all, like, in agreement. Like, we need more empathy. <laughs> more right. empathy. And, yeah, uh, we do it. And, 
yeah, how do we do it? Uh, I don't know, it seems like it should be, like, an experiential thing. Like, I, like, I think that, like, give everyone, like, two weeks with you, or, like, you know, or, like, a month <laughs> with you, over, over, like, a, a summer break, like, uh, there's, uh, Janine Davis. So much credit here. <laughs> yeah, the Janine Davis on the west on the west coast. She uh does EQ type stuff similar to you. I feel like yeah. you like she works with wolves to help people like open these things up. And I just wonder if like you two sat down and like made like a, a program like parents everyone could come out uh, and learn these skills together. Um, I've wondered if like people we should just like kind of give every student like a psychologist essentially to help them. And it, like yeah. the primary thing I was thinking of was just like understanding how to handle your emotions. Yep. Oh my gosh, the little ones come to you screaming. They're in pain emotionally. They can't tell you why. Oh, I had a little boy one time who just, he just hit and I'm little and he was big at five and he would just beat me up and he was so, it was just pure fear. He didn't, he couldn't process the world. And so what I did was I would sit on the ground and say, you know, actually this time was much shorter. We did, we did better this time. This was good. And next time, it's going to be even shorter. How do you, you know, it's, it's, I touch right here. How do you feel in here? What does this feel like? This hurts. What is this? Are you, and then you give them words and then they copy what your words are and you continue to help them understand. And you'll have kids come up at five. I feel frustrated. <laughs> Great. I am so happy. All right. Now let's deal with the frustration. <laughs> But being able to understand that you are having an emotion. It's not just pain in your body. It's not just this, this uncontrollable issue. If kids are screaming, something is wrong inside their head. Something doesn't feel good and they need help figuring out what it is. So, and then naming it. And then after you do that, then we teach them skills of, all right, let's see what works. Let's see what helps you feel less frustrated. Talking to someone about this. You're sad. What helps you? You're scared. What? Hmm. Should we try our breathing or our counting again? Should we look at pictures that we know make us happy? Should we go and have a moment to draw to kind of get those feelings out? Uh, but we teach them those those skills to right. So it's a process. But you've got to start with they don't know what emotion they're feeling. All they know is it doesn't feel good. Um, you go from there and you build up and it's by the end of the year, they are telling you exactly how they feel every second of the day, <laughs> whether you're teaching reading or not, <laughs> they, they'll be yelling it out, but it's very that's empowering. Like, yeah. To them. That's, yeah. That's what I was going to say. It sounds very empowering. Like for not just the kids, but also the parents, the parents. Was, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, um, I mean, if they can see it, then they can kind of feel it. I imagine, like, just coming home and that difference, like, just how that would feel as a parent. But, but for, um, for, for parents, it seems like you've kind of gotten all the generations. I imagine you've gone through, like, four different generations, because people have kids at different ages. So, like, I imagine you have, like, you might have some baby boomers in there, but, like, you're primarily probably, like, hitting, like, the millennials now. Are, yeah. like, are millennials doing anything different or unique compared to the other generations? Like, it can be, like, good or bad. I don't, like, uh, typically associate, like, those type of terms. So I'm just kind of curious. Are there generational differences in how people are approaching parenting? I hear uh, I so. people make this joke that apparently, like, men, like, for millennials, like, a guy caring and being involved with their the kids is, like, the biggest deal for people. <laughs> apparently, the previous generations. Uh, someone was telling me this, that there used to be, like, a PSA. They would send it to a baby boomer saying, like, hug your kids. 
They need to be hugged. Stop yelling. Stop yelling. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true. I've heard this is true. It is so uh, true. All yeah. of that is so true. <laughs> and it has changed. So, yeah, in hmm. 17 years, I'm in my 50s. Um, I When I started, and it's New York City, so people have babies much older in New York City than in probably any other part of the country. So being a 40-year-old new mom is normal. Uh, but they were older than I am, so they're in their probably late 60s now, many of the parents. Parents I have now are in their 40s. Um, and then I do have some who are in their 30s. I've had parents who are in their 20s. <laughs> the parents now, dads are, to me, the love is, is, you can see it. It's tactile. They hug their kids. They hold their kids. They feel these emotions. Um, and I don't know if it's the because I'm New York City or because I'm in the neighborhood where I'm teaching in, and I'm sure it's very different if you go to different parts of the country, but things have changed. Unfortunately, I do think that parents now, um, you know, they, they want their kid to be happy. They don't necessarily know how to do it. And so putting a screen in front of their hands or giving in when they scream for something or trying to be their best friend, that's more typical of the generation of parents now versus 15, 20 years ago where, no, I said no, and that is no. I mean, when I grew up, forget it. You you were not your parents' friend. You know, you, you were the adult. <laughs> they were the adult. You were the child. You you respected adults. You followed rules, to good or bad. So I like some of both pieces of the generation, but I do, of the generations, but I do think wanting to be their friend and feeling that guilt um, and then what you give them actually ends up making it worse. But they're doing it out of a out of a love and out of a need. They just may not be doing it in a way that benefits their child or them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like the, it's like rubber banding. You know, it's like when if your parent beat you a lot, so now you don't <laughs> discipline your kid at all. And exactly. uh, it's like, well, exactly. discipline's good. It's just like, maybe don't beat them. Like, you know, like, like, right, they're, they're, they're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you <laughs> know, like... Uh, them, but don't yeah, give like, them cookies uh, when they cry. <laughs> and my, my wife and I were recently discussing this, and we were like, if we had kids, how do we, we you know, is being acceptable? And she was like, no, we shouldn't do that. She's like, yeah, like, you're already, like, 12 times the size of a child. Like, you raising your voice is, like, the most terrifying thing to a kid. Like, because like, I think a lot of parents see other people. Like, so they think that that's normal. They don't realize, like, the kid... Like you're like a giant. Like no one realizes they're huge anymore. Like to a kid, you're like you're like Colossus. You're like one of those yeah. giant one-eyed Cyclops people. Uh, so you raise your voice enough. Well, I put them in timeouts enough. Like um, I don't think there's an, an avenue where uh, there's been any studies that say like like spankings or anything are useful for kids. Has there been like is it conclusive yet? Like it's completely gone. I mean, hitting. How would you like it if somebody was unhappy with you and they walked over and smacked you in the face? Are you ever going to want to be with them again? Where's the trust, right? Yeah. Now, if you're about to put your hand on a burning stove, okay, boom, whack the hand out of the way. Do whatever you need to do to get them away from danger. Or if they're crossing the street, yes, grab them and pull them back. But I don't, I don't need to yell. It's interesting. Yeah. I, in my classroom, but also with my kids, I 
uh, my tone is almost always like this. Like, it's fun and we're laughing, whatever, but you will follow my directions. And that's it. These are the rules. Here they are. We've talked about them. We've danced about them. We've read them. We have them on here. You will follow the directions. And, and I have a voice where if I get serious, everybody stops. Okay. I don't need to do more than that. Teachers don't need to lose it. I mean, I can have complete control of a classroom, control being they all quiet down and, and look. I can have that with my voice not being raised above that. But that's a respect you earn. But I could go into a fifth grade classroom and have the same thing. I have a strong voice, but then I'll, right, then you look for ways to bring the kids in and interest them and, and whatever. But hitting, never. Just, just it's not going to do what you want it to do. It's your frustration and your inability to know exactly how to handle the situation. And we all, we all get frustrated and we've all probably whacked and, you know, my uh, child when they were little or something and just realizing, oh God, no, that's not good. (laughs) That's, that's coming from me, my need that I'm not meeting, not really what they're doing. For the, for the fifth graders, you can like walk straight in and speak and they'll respect it. I was thinking like with the, like kids you have it's like you've already shown them there's someone to listen because you listen to them so you have like that relationship that does it you know i think sometimes people expect i i was thinking about this the other day like when i see people who uh expect a certain relational status to their kids like how they how they expect their kids to treat them because they're they had to treat their parents a certain way it's like well what did the what did your parents do to earn that from you that you're just expecting you get and then how do you think that would be different if you're a kid and they're expecting something, but they're not doing the things that you respect in your parents to make them feel that way. Um, so I, I, I was just going to, I was wondering if like it, so my question is like, you can just walk into a fifth grade class. They don't know you. And you can like speak and they'll listen. Uh, Cause that's pretty cool. Like I, I would assume like, yeah, it's like if you have the established relationships, like you've, you've kind of like shown that you, you deserve that. Yeah. I think um, I'm little, but I'm mighty. And so I can walk into a room and say, eyes on me. Boom. All right, great. So this is what we're going to, sorry, have you met me? My name's Tara. You're going to listen. So sit down. Okay. Now we go. So there's just an element of how much control do I need to exert? You Mm -hmm. do the minimal amount. Fifth graders are probably going to need more, but they, you'll see all their friends will go, she's talking, she's talking. Mm. (laughs) Is there, is there a difference between how, uh, like a, like a guy kid and a girl kid because I, I um i heard that like kids like guy kids like to bounce a lot like we have like a lot of energy but then um just saying like oh like their boys will be boys and just let them run isn't the best because you still should teach them how to like rein in those feelings so is there like a gender-based difference in um how to raise kids or should you treat them differently like oh a woman should be treated this way i guess it's a larger question that might get us in trouble but i'm just generally curious in terms of like how kids act uh is there do you regulate a kid that's bouncing around? And do you, like, if a, a girl's naturally empathetic, do you, like, teach them to bounce around? Like, how do you, like, like compliment the different, like, uh, things that seem to be happening for the genders? If a kid is bouncing around, they have a need for stimuli. So do you need a bouncy chair? Do you need to stand in the back of the rug while I'm teaching and do jumping jacks? What do you need? Do you need a 15-minute big body workout. I'm talking especially kids go outside with the, with the occupational therapist and they do their wall pushups and they run their laps and they come back and they tell me all about it. <sighs> okay. Now they're ready to sit. 
But if they're jumping around, there's a need. I, you know, I know when I was growing up and when I started teaching boys, girls, people thought of them differently. I, I don't call them boys and girls anymore. Mm -hmm. I, they're people, they're learners, they're students, they're, I call them chicken nuggets, which they absolutely die for every single time I say it, which is ridiculous because you think they'd stop laughing after the 25th time. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I've, I've never done anything based on boys over here, girls over there. I don't line them up that way. I, I grew up with two sisters and a mother, all very strong women, very, very strong women. And my father, who just, I just absolutely adore, such a sweetheart. And he, both of my parents were teachers and he would tell me, you know, the girls are amazing. And he was a high school teacher, so smart, have the answers up until a certain grade. And then they sit back and let the boys just go. And it's a confidence issue. Um, and it's because we've said, oh, boys are successful in this and girls in that. And it's, yeah. it's, just, not, it's just not true. It's how you, kids are built how they're built. So there's nature and nurture going on no matter what. And I do see boys jumping around probably more than I see some girls. But, but I don't act on it. I don't, I don't purposefully, someone taught me a few years back, just let them be naturally become who they are. A boy comes in with nail polish on. Oh, I love the glitter on that one. Hmm. Boy comes in with, you know, a child comes in whose name was Jack and now wants to be called Jill. I tread very lightly. It's, it's not my, my place to tell anybody what they are yeah. right other than being a human being and a chicken nugget um i chicken so. nugget too you're <laughs> a chicken nugget too <laughs> yeah like it's funny but uh yeah uh i guess i have like the uh humor of a child but the, the chicken nugget makes so me I. it's horrible yeah. you say the yeah. word ball yeah. and i will laugh every time i'm sorry i'm yeah. a 13 year old boy at heart everything fine i find everything funny so yeah, now I'm going to use chicken nugget in conversation later today. <laughs> uh, oh, you chicken but, uh, nugget. Yeah, now I'm using that from now on. It's, it's, uh, or, uh, I know uh, before we were recording, we were talking about, like, what's the future? Do people, should people go to community college and then university uh, and, like, um, or trades and stuff like that? And But there was a, so Ben Franklin, when he was a kid, I think he was about the age of your kids, his dad took him to a bunch of different apprenticeships where he could see, like, how, you know, he could be an apprenticeship for a candle making or bricklaying, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you do you think about like the the kids and like where they could go at your age as well in terms of like um, helping them decide is like college something community college etc or experimenting with a trade or like or um, even from like a parent perspective how how could a, a parent like do that Ben Franklin thing for their kids so they could see more what they like career wise what they could be good at? I just think that's the answer right there. Hmm. Um, I wish I had seen so many different worlds and lives um and i think our kids in high school everybody's being pushed towards college and i understand and it sounds magical and wonderful but what are the expectations let's look 10 years from now what do you really love doing where are your skills how do you learn what field do you think would be interesting let's look at that and i think if if they could take the whole, oh, college is everything, which it's not, um, and 
look at the world and all of the types of jobs and work that can be done. And if you can meet more people in different fields and try to get a feel for that, feel for that before choosing, I, it would just be so much better. I think I, I, I just think it's ridiculous to have people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on college if their kid really has difficulty learning in an environment like that and would be incredible you know with boat engineering or whatever it would be it doesn't matter but I think if we could figure out if we could help the children figure out what they really love what their skills are it's so much better I mean there's a lot of really unhappy lawyers in the world right there's a lot of unhappy teachers in the world it's you go into a field because you think you're supposed to yeah I think the it'd be really interesting if if uh, I think of it like the Socratic method. So when with like Socrates, Socrates not like Socratic, like figuring out like questions by asking questions circuitously. But the the uh, like having people who are passionate about the subject material talk to you about what it's like. So if people yeah. wanted to try out like like have like a curriculum, like a brown bag thing, where uh, you know like I'm a teacher, I'm gonna come in here and show you what that's like, or I'm a nurse, I'm gonna show you what that's like. Talk to you about it, and so people can. Uh, kind of experience it through their passion. I imagine that'd be like a pretty good use case for VR. Like you could like actually like literally like walk people through like a virtual so environment, cool. uh, especially for like the medical stuff. Cause I doubt you want like kids making medical diagnoses and stuff. Like, it, you know, it might be <laughs> too stressful because people need to feel safe and then experience what, what it's actually like. Um, I think that the problem is like, yeah, people always assume like it's college that gets you to that future. I think my college 60, percent of graduates made less than high school graduates and i was like why did anyone go here <laughs> why did anyone go here and then uh yeah and then well it's also like there's a lot of them that are teachers but then they stop being teachers after a couple of years they start becoming like principals and stuff and doing other things and it seems yeah. that like that the principals get paid more or whatever um but then there's also like illinois having some pretty good teachers unions that are coming up that are getting teachers more pay and respect that they need because it I've seen like what the average pay in Illinois is for teachers. It's like I don't know how they people survive like that. So it makes sense that like you do this, you're getting all the stress, you're trying to learn all these new things, handle the handle the parents, handle the handle the kids, handle the other teachers, handle the, you know all this. Stuff. That's a lot. And then also you're making less than high school workers. Like how uh, some uh, high school graduates. Like how how can you in, in, encourage great people like yourself to want to do that uh, with all that hitting them at the same time? That seems like really ridiculous. Is there um. Have you seen anything, either in New York or otherwise, that's making it uh, easier for people to want to stay teachers? Because it just seems like, from the outside, that a lot of people are leaving, and the ones that leave are probably really great ones, like yourself, who are just like, you know, I'm not getting the support I need. And then you're left with teachers that are like, a lot of my teachers growing up did not want to have the teaching job, so I don't know why they did it, other than it's just all they had at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, narrowed down. Do you want to be a nurse, a teacher, or a whatever? And, and Okay, I guess I'll choose that. Um, I think that this, I forgot what I was just going to say, actually. <laughs> I was listening to you go on. Um, first of all, I our union is very, very strong. And so mm -hmm. I do feel quite secure in that. I can tell you that I'm an incredibly hard worker. I do have that work ethic. And I will kill myself. I'll do too much but I'm tired. I'm really tired. And this isn't, it's not a fault of the administration. It's not a fault of the children. It's not a fault of the parents. It's the expectations on teachers right now 
just continue to expand. You wouldn't, I have eight hours of work after my school day is done. I can't, I can't get any of the paperwork and the meetings and the, I have to do all of the, I have to fill in all the data and I've got to, none of that gets done during my day. Um, and it, and just when you think, okay, I'm, I'm treading water, I'm surviving, I can handle everything I'm supposed to handle. Oh, and here's another curriculum we want you to add in because social emotional is important. Great. Let's not find time in the day to fit it. Let's not, let's just throw another curriculum at teachers and say, you got to add this in too without it necessarily being valuable. So it's too much. It's too much. I don't blame teachers for leaving. I, um, I think it's really sad. I think expectations are just way too high on, on what we can physically do. And I would say for anybody to truly understand that, come teach with me for a week. We'll see if you're standing. Like, it is not for the faint. I, for any teacher, it is so exhausting mentally, physically, and I love it. So this is somebody who loves it, who wants to do it, but I will eventually be pushed out of this field. How do you handle, um, I mean, you've been doing it for 17 years. I feel like your mental strength has got to be like, you know, titanium strong to take 17 years to feel tired. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you felt <laughs> tired throughout, but it's like your mental strength has got to be like like plutonium. Like you probably like a power nuclear reactor or something, but... So how do you do the self-care side of it? Like, if it's like you have a full work day and then you have eight hours. Like, I just feel like you go to bed numb every day and then wake up and it's like, oh, I got to do my, my Shakespearean play today. But <laughs> like, do you, I'm just like, I mean, I don't have any other elegant question other than just like, how do you handle your self-care, your me mental health? How do you take care of yourself? Because I imagine it's really hard to find love on your own end, you know, like dating or whatever. If, uh, if like you're working like a hundred hours a week and you're tired the other times and you just want to sleep or whatever. I think, yeah, I come home from school and I'm just, you know, it's really funny. Can I, I eat pasta in bed at 6.30? Can I go to sleep by 7? You know, I don't know. I I think that um, your emotional health is so important. I have tremendous friends who I adore. I have a partner who I adore. I, I um, My co-teacher has made all the difference in the world to me. So now I teach, uh, it's called ICT, an integrated classroom of half of the kids have special needs but pretty high functioning and half of the kids are general education and then there's two of us two teachers and I've worked with her with this we're going in our fifth year I think it just tremendous like she's an incredible teacher and we have such different skills and so I love it because we learn from each other constantly but that emotional supports there and she's a workhorse and she's so smart. So if at the end of the day she's exhausted and I look at her and we just go, oh, God, <laughs> we survived today. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just it fills you up to realize that somebody else who you completely respect is going through it as well with you. OK, I'm not crazy. I know I know at the end of the year, I know at the end of the week, I get such tremendous feedback from families from kids I I see their whole lives change so that feeds me um, that that keeps me going but I think that for teachers their emotional health is really shaky yeah. there's just 
there's not enough support and not through not wanting to support teachers. I really don't think there's, you know, a mayor out there saying, let's screw teachers. Yes, let's make them feel bad. You know, they all want things to go well. And they're trying and they have some counseling help for in the union and they've got they've got different things that they offer. Our medical care is amazing. Um, but teachers just aren't doing well emotionally. We're just not. It's too much. Yeah, it sounds like the big boon to you is the love that you have for your profession. So it doesn't sound like that you do necessarily like when you come home, like 15 minutes of meditation or any strategies like that. It that just seems to like strength of character. <laughs> meditation would be great. I was just talking to my father on the phone and he's like, baby, I found that meditation is very good. <laughs> you know, dad, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try that again. Cause I did, there was a time where I was commuting on the train and I was commuting into the city, so I was adding three to four hours a day wow. onto my day, and I would work on the train and all, but by the time I got off the train, I would just be crying. Like, I just, I, you just have all of this emotion that's got to come out. Mm -hmm. So now it's, you know, I, I'm renting a place near where I work so that I can... It, it, life's so different. You, I leave work when it's light out and I come home and it's still light out and then I have friends and, and that has boosted my mood tremendously. So I'm trying really hard. My sister was great at kind of analyzing my life and saying, this is, this is too hard. This is how you make it easier. Stop that commute. Do this for yourself. You need that. Buy that for yourself. Stop doing laundry. Send it out. You know, she'll, it, it's great to have somebody who's realistic and just able to kind of take it apart and say, let's figure out how to make your life easier. But I definitely need to be very cognizant of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I would, uh, uh, meditation's fun. I, it's one of those things that I'm trying to get on to. I know that if you do it even just for like a week consistently, apparently it's really great for you. But then it's just like, oh my God, 15 minutes. I don't know. But uh, it's exactly like, uh, what I'm thinking. yeah, I watch I'm, a lot I'm, of bad reality TV. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is it like SVU? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what my wife watches. Like a lot of the people with, uh, like uh, creative type people like yourself, I think they just like the SVU procedural stuff. And I'm always yep. like, you're watching this, then you're walking around, you know, during the day. It's like, how are you not scared all the time? It's like, how are you not have nightmares? It's like, oh no, it's just, it's, it's nice. I know it's gonna get wrapped up, is what she says. <laughs> so it's like, I love it. I love like, the procedural part. And they figure it all out. And yeah, I like that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, no, if, if you uh, if you try it out and it works, uh, I'll try and send you the app that I'm using. Uh, I use it off and on. It does feel great when you're doing it. That is true. Uh, I'm just inconsistent. Getting to it. Yes, it's it's oh, like setting I the timer. Have to say. Yeah, it's. I, I think probably like you have to trick yourself. It's like like have like a time of the day where it's like 15 minutes. And it's like well, I'm gonna sit down for 15 minutes, and you know if I don't do anything, it's just I can try and do it. And don't you deserve 15 minutes just for yourself? I think that you gotta like trick yourself for that. Like look at all the work you do. Like, you, you yeah. deserve, like, 15 minutes, yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to... That's what I'm thinking, like, I'm how I trick myself. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to, like... I'm trying to give you, like, uh, any thoughts that I've had. Um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. Yeah. I, I, literally, apparently, like, one week is enough to make, like, a big difference. And then the big difference is, like, you notice your emotions and stuff more, but it seems like you'd be pretty in touch with your emotions, too. So, like, if, I, I'd be very curious to see what happens with someone who, like, is like yourself, who's, like, a super empathetic person like what benefits you'd get if it makes you like even even greater um that'd be pretty cool um but for for future stuff i always ask people these questions uh so one thing i always ask is uh do you have any books 
any recommendations that you check out i recommend people check out you can recommend them straight to me i'll read anything you say i'm always looking for new things to read if, if you're not reading you're just spewing it up that's fine too you can recommend a tv show i am doing a lot of podcasts on mm. how to teach reading and um looking at you know trying to prep for my next year and how i want to teach and and all of that, I've got nothing good. I would love some great book recommendations. I am with you. I am SVUing it up. I am, but I go through phases where I read a lot and love it. And then phases where my brain's just like, uh-uh, I'll listen to it on a podcast when I was driving home or on the train. I, I go up and down with it. Yeah. But it's, so, it's like so funny. It's all self-care too, right? Because yeah. if you're reading something that can then help you kind of regulate your emotional health, even, and that could be anything. It, it doesn't have to be academic. It can be anything, but it's, it's just starting it. It's not that I don't have 15 minutes, but it's the starting of it and saying, yes, I deserve this. I need this time for me. Yeah. I think the, I think the, I know a friend who has like ADHD, it's the one where like you can't focus. And mm-hmm. they said that the thing that helps them is they'll say, I'll do it for 30 seconds or I'll do like the smallest little bit. I'll sit down and do it. And apparently you can't ever do something just for 30 seconds. You start doing it for more. And that's how I like, like you just gotta like start the steamroll. So maybe it's like, instead of like 15 minutes, it's like, can I sit down for 30 seconds? That's true. <laughs> Let's see how that works. That yeah. would get me that yeah. I could do. I could do five yeah. minutes of anything. Yeah. And then, uh, is there, is there a genre you're looking for? Usually like listeners send me recommendations and stuff, or I'll send you some recommendations on, on things to learn. I would love that. Send me anything. Just anything? Okay. Yep, I'm in. All right. And then uh, what would be, so if there's someone out there who's thinking about becoming a teacher, who's doing something else, and what you spoke about today really moved them, is there any advice you'd give them to know if teaching is right for them? Is it, is it just like maybe like contact a school and see if you can shadow someone? And what would you, yeah, what advice would you give on that front? It, I definitely you want to be in a classroom because teaching is completely different in an elementary school level, even on kindergarten versus fifth grade middle school level like my daughter teaches which is i think the hardest thing in the entire world high school level college level do you want to work with students who um, have different kinds of needs or students who are exceptional in this area and need tremendous growth you don't know you don't know what you're going to be good at you don't know what's going to kind of grab you so definitely the shadowing i've had many many student teachers over the years i love my student teachers i keep in touch with all of them, um, most of them anyway, I think. Um, and I've had just parents, not parents even of my own ch- of students, but in the school because their kids all come home and, and know our class. So these parents will all reach out to me. Oh, I've got a niece who's interested. Can they come and visit? I've got a nephew who wants to learn more. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I've I had a mom whose whose son was, I don't know, 23, 24, had no idea what he wanted to do. And she just said, he needs some direction in his life. Can he just, can he just come talk to you about teaching? So he came and spent the day and loved it and then applied to, to a program to get his teaching license. And he went into the field and it, it's really cool. I I think to me, that's the only way to know mm-hmm. if you're going to love it. Cause man, you spend the money to go to school, to get, get your degree, to start doing it. And then you hate it. Yeah. But shadowing yeah. is absolutely the right thing to do. 